Welcome to season two of My Ministry Breakthrough, brought to you by Oxano. I'm your host, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about church leaders telling unfiltered stories of impact in the local church. We're here to celebrate and share those life-changing moments when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. Churches will be getting bigger. The churches will be getting smaller. Houses are getting bigger. Houses are getting smaller. Televisions are getting bigger and televisions are getting smaller. This is a Mandorla world. We bring these up. We cannot be afraid of the opposite. We're going to start this season a little different. This episode is not typical of what you heard in season one. You know, an interview mining out a breakthrough moment. This episode is a challenge for every listener to have a moment of breakthrough for yourself. My guest in this episode is Leonard Sweet, and he's not so much a guest as a guest speaker. You see, the Oxano team was incredibly blessed to spend a couple days with Lynn and his family at his home in Washington State in the beautiful San Juan Islands. You gotta think bald eagles, orca whales, and some of the most beautiful scenery and wildlife God created. I mean, Free Willy jumped over the wall right outside his back porch. And in this setting, we sat with one of the leading futurist voices in the church today. If you've ever read one of Leonard Sweet's books, you can only partially imagine what it is like to have him personally challenge you to look deep in the scriptures and find the future of the church for yourself. In this first episode of season two of My Ministry Breakthrough, you'll get a small glimpse from our team's time together with Lynn. You'll hear us interact, laugh, and make snarky remarks. But most of all, you get to hear some of our own moments of breakthrough as he spoke a blessing over our work serving alongside local church leaders. So before we launch season two of this podcast with stories of breakthrough, and I've got to say, some incredible guests are already lined up this season. Some of the names you will know very well and some you may never have heard of. My prayer, our prayer at Oxano, is that by the time you get through this first episode to the story of the ostrich egg in about 30 minutes or so, you'll have a breakthrough moment too. So lean in and listen up to my ministry breakthrough with Leonard Sweet of Orcas Island, Washington. When you think of, I mean, the earliest creation is kind of Genesis 2. So that's the macro, and then we got a, uh, wait, that's the micro, and then we have the macro. So the, ma- the micro account is Genesis 2, 4b that starts it, and then the macro account is Genesis 1. But in the earliest, the earliest metaphor of the Bible is dirt, earth. That's really what. Adam means, from the ground, from the dirt. The second metaphor of the Bible is water. God caused water to rise up. You don't get rain till the flood. Up until then, the rain comes from the ground. Third metaphor, wind. I can tell the whole story from Genesis to Maps with any one of those three metaphors. Give me earth, dirt, I can tell the whole story. Give me water. I tell the story. Um, so, and if I were, I've done two church plants in my life, if I were doing a third, my requirement for membership would be, you want to join this community? Here's your, here's your, um, 
ritual of initiation. Stand in front of your brothers and sisters and tell, in your own words, the whole story from Genesis to the maps. You have 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Tell the whole story. Your own words. 10 minutes. So there's a lot of ways we can tell the story. Um, basically, every metaphor, if the Bible is a living organism, which I believe it is, then you can start anywhere and go over any go anywhere. <coughs> like with your body, you can start anywhere and it'll take you anywhere, anywhere, everywhere. So when you think of like biblical vegetables, fruits, um, when you think of those kinds of things. What what are what are things that some of the things that come to mind? Apple. Apple. What else? Just just pomegranate. 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 Yeah. Pomegranates are huge. In fact, you don't get the the apple as the as the tree, the forbidden fruit, till the fifth century. Mm-hmm. So most likely, some say it was the pomegranate. Um, but what else? Olives. Olive. Fig. Yeah. Huge Fig. olives. Yeah. Figs. Anybody else? Grapes. Grapes, obvious grapes. Yeah. What else? Honey. Honey. Okay. Anything else come to mind? Leeks. Okay. They don't talk about like oranges and lemons, do they? And about what? No. Oranges, lemons, things like that aren't mentioned, right? No. Please tell me there's coffee in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's close. Is that, is that a vegetable? All right. That's one of your... What, it, one of the most important of all... Now, it's really not a fruit, but it's the, it's the pit of a fruit. Of all the things that we talk about, it's hard to beat the grape. Is the almond. Um, first time we hear the almond, the appears the almond, is what? The 12 tribes are fighting. Moses had enough. God's had enough. And um, who's going to be Moses' successor? So God says, okay, you get a rod. Put your rod in the tent of meeting. The next morning we'll see what rod's different. And so they all get their rods out, put their name on the rods, and the next morning all the rods are the same except one. And that one rod that's different is Aaron's rod. And what is Aaron's rod? It's no longer a rod. It's a almond branch. The rod, yeah, like those living fences we talked about. Here's a here's a dead <coughs> branch that sprouted <coughs> almonds. Now let's be very specific. Anybody have this? I think it's what is it? Number seventeen. You look at it really quick because I want you to read somebody. Who's got number 17? Read it really quick. Um, I think it's number 17. Uh, how much do you want read? 
whole thing? Just just that part where, and they went in the next morning. Okay. Um, What'd they find? Uh, let's see. Yeah. So the Lord said to Moses, bring Aaron's staff back before the testimony to be preserved uh, for a sign. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I'll go back a few verses before. On the next day, Moses went into the tent yep, of the testimony. There we go. Yep. And the staff of Aaron for the house of Levi had sprouted. And brought forth buds and produced blossoms and yielded almonds. Okay. Uh, now notice it's not just an almond branch. It's an almond branch that has what? Repeat it again. Buds, buds blossoms, blossoms, almonds. That's the fruit with yeah. the pit. Is the, the Almond's more like a peach. It's a peach pit. Mm. Okay. But it's not a peach. It's an almond, but it's... Mm-hmm. A peach pit is poisonous, but an almond pit is not. Okay. So notice the detail, though. This almond <clears throat> branch sprouted three things. Buds, mm-hmm. blossoms. blossoms. Now, how important was Aaron's rod? It's hugely important to the people of Israel. So important. Whereas, what's in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant. And what does the Ark of the Covenant have in it? Three things. One is manna. One is one is Aaron's rod. So here is a defining symbol of what it means to be an Israelite. Aaron's rod. It's an almond branch, but a branch with buds, blossoms, flowers. Okay, now, so that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. What's, um, any any other place you can think of that that almonds appear? Or Aaron's rod appears, or? Okay, remember the call of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I want you. Jeremiah goes, well, I've been waiting for this all my life. This is why I scored highest on my spiritual gifts inventory. <laughs> 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 oh, <man. laughs> that doesn't call us to do. See, we bless others naturally through our strengths, but we bless others supernaturally through the point of our greatest weakness. weakness. So show me a weakness inventory. Because when you show me a weakness inventory, I'll show you where God's going to bless others most supernaturally through your life. So Jeremiah goes, "You got the wrong guy. I'm too young. You've got, you know, I don't not, I'm not equipped for this." And then God does what to Jeremiah? Remember the story? Touches his tongue, and then after God touches his tongue, says, "What do you see, Jeremiah?" And then Jeremiah says what? I see an almond branch. In other words, he's seeing Aaron's rod. And Aaron's rod is now his to carry, his to bear. Um, all right, what is, by the way, what is outside, just outside the, the veil that separates the Holy of Holies from the next level of holiness, the holy space. 
what's just outside the veil? What, what's in the next level of holiness? There's 10 levels of holiness in Jerusalem. The highest level is, of course, the Holy of Holies. The next level, what's, what's, what's in there? Anybody remember? Lampstand. Lampstand. Okay, you've got, first of all, you got the, the table, the shoe table, and you've got the incense, and you've got the golden lampstand. What is the golden lampstand? It's an almond tree. It's an almond tree. And if you look at, where is it, in Exodus, what, 25 or something? Let's check it out. There's great detail in how the golden lamp says that nothing else but literally an almond tree with seven branches. But each one of those branches is to have on it what? Do you, do you have it? Anybody have it in Exodus 25? I think it's Exodus. Maybe not. I'm going to guess a bud. Buzz. Buzz. A bud, blossom. A blossom and an almond. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, Eagle, show the golden lamp stand here, would you? Put it up. Um, this is the golden lamp stand. And on every golden lamp stand is very specific. You are to have the buds, the blossoms, and of course the flower is the um, is the uh, the the flame is the almond itself. Um, but the golden lamp stand is to be, it's not a golden lamp, it's an almond tree. Okay, now. What is the symbol of Judaism? It's not the Star of David. That's the symbol of Israel. Menorah. Menorah. What is a menorah? That. It's just an abstract version of that. So the symbol of Judaism is an almond tree. So when we talk, so again, the metaphor is so strategically important to who Judaism is. Um, now, what is the earliest earliest symbol of Christianity, of followers of Jesus? Um, the fish. But why is the fish, why was it not the cross and why was it the fish? And so let's look at something called, um, in, you've seen, the whole, if it's a holy person, it has a halo. They're dead. If it, they're alive, it's a square. But in Christian art. If it's a holy scene, it's framed in an almond. In Italian, it's called a mandorla. But I had thank, uh, Eagle give me some ex examples of it here. You can just go look up mandorla and uh, give, give me the icon, Eagle. Which um, one? Just go back to one of those two. doesn't matter. Yeah. Right here. <clears throat> See? You've seen this a thousand times. You've never known you've seen it. But it is the almond <clears throat> that is framing... The picture you got a lot of nativity scenes. Give, give another one. Just go to uh, go to another one. Um, yeah. So you see all of these um, uh, framings of a holy scene in this almond halo. That is that it does what a halo does over the head for a person. It does for a a scene and set it apart as a special holy holy scene. So the mandorla is a, is a shape that uh, is really common in Christian art. We've just never identified it as such. We haven't called it out. Now you're going to start seeing it everywhere <laughs> because you, you now know that what's going on. But 
This is the this is the key here. This is how a mandorla is formed. And then give me give me the uh, the circles. A mandorla is formed when you bring two things together and overlap them. And in that overlap is the mandorla. Jesus is the mandorla that brings together heaven and earth, the divine and the human, and in that overlap. Now, this is not a Hegelian synthesis. You got a thesis, an antithesis, and then you got a synthesis that leads to another thesis. This is living in the tension and in the um, resonance of two opposite things brought together. Jesus always comes in surround sound. You never hear one thing with Jesus. I am the lion and I am the I'm the prince of peace and I came bringing an olive branch, right? No, I'm the prince of peace and I came bringing a sword. 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 I want you to be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. God is one, God is three. What's the truth? God's not one and a half. You live in the the mandorla of both together. Jesus, fully human, fully divine. What's the truth? Yes, you live in the... The Heraclitus first wanted to define Logos. He said, Logos is. His, his disciples weren't getting it. We get this from fragments. We don't have any writing of Heraclitus. It just comes all from fragments. And um, so he said, okay, I'm going to show you what Logos is. Again, this is the earliest definition of Logos. Give me a stick. Now, give me two sticks. And I'm going to do with that stick something that can kill you or heal you. And what I do to that stick that can kill you or heal you is called Logos. I go, what are you talking about? So they bring him a stick. He notches the end of the sticks, the two opposite ends. He says, okay, get me some cat gut. I'm going to bring these two opposite ends into where it is. Relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, he says, look what I got. I got a bow and arrow that can kill you. Or I have a harp that can heal you. And when I bring opposites together into relationship, that's called logos. You see why our translation of word for logos is so inadequate. <clears throat> and this is what Jesus does. He brings heaven and earth, the divine and the human, together to relationship. Um, We are living in a world, the modern world created a bell curve. It created, it was a bell curve world. It created bell curve culture, mass communications, mass media. We love the word general. Everything was general. We had general motors, general foods, general mills, general dynamics, general electric, I could go on and on. We love the word general. I have general superintendents. We have general conference. We love generals. <laughs> that belt in a general world that masses, massifies everything, mass media, mass technology, mass communications, mass, 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 that massifies everything, where do you position yourself with the greatest influence? In the middle. Digital culture, all demassifies everything, and you have a mitosis of the middle so that it's no longer a bell curve, it's a well curve. The ends are huge and the middles 
are getting smaller and smaller. In that kind of a world, where's the most dangerous place you can position yourself? Is in the middle. In a well-curved world, you've got to do the mandorla. You've got to find a way to bring opposites together, not to resolve them, not to, but to live out of the overlap. Good afternoon, saints. Good afternoon, sinners. What's the truth? Yes. You want to be first? You got to be? Jesus doesn't. He wants you to be first. There's no opposition to being first. But So show me a last Baptist church somewhere. <laughs> show me a last Methodist church somewhere. No, we all want to be. No, but you wait, the way you get to be first is you become first. You want to be exalted? You got to be. Hence my door. You, without Christ, I can do. You got to bow down to get into my study. But with Christ, I can do what? You got to step up to get into my study. You have humble confidence. You bring the two together. You live out of the Mandorla. This world is getting more global and is getting more tribal. Opposite things are happening at the same time and they are contradictory. They're not contradictory. We got to get used to hearing the double ring. We are, Jesus is always coming in stereo, in surround sound. And so this is one of the exciting things about doing ministry in this culture is that we were made for this because paradoxy is orthodoxy. You know, the cross, the other symbol of bringing opposites together. Heresy is the cross on cross. When you're only hearing one thing, you're not hearing Jesus. You bring the vertical, transcendent, the horizontal, the imminent together. And you live in relationship of both of them together. You don't resolve the tension and separate them. You live out of this. So the, again, so you 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 live out of the, the and our churches want to play it safe in the middle. There's actually what is the, what is the guy from Denver, the mayor, former mayor from Denver? I think he was also the governor of Colorado. What's got a strange name? Hoffman Cooper or something? Hickenlooper. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he calls himself he. But see, he can't be a moderate. He's got to be. He's I'm an extreme moderate. Okay. Nobody wants moderate anything, mm-hmm. except we want moderate Muslims. No, I don't want moderate Muslims. You got to be a Muslim. Be a Muslim. Just be a a radical fanatic Muslim who doesn't want to kill Jews. Because I'm not a moderate Christian. I am a radical Christian. I'm not a moderate. So, no. Um, but even even the moderates don't want to be moderate anymore. <laughs> they got to be extreme. All middles are going. You hug the middle of the road, you're going to be hit by both sets of oncoming traffic. And churches want to play safe in the middle. You've got to get them out of the middle of the road. It's roadkill. Um, we shouldn't like middle anyways, because we have Revelation 3.16. Would that you were... Instead, you're middle of the road. You're lukewarm. Your play is safe. Um, No. Redefine sanctuary. Not as a safe place from risk, but a safe place to take risks. As we move people out of this supposed safety of the middle into, what does it mean to bring the extremes together? Um, And that's part of the challenge of of this... uh, this mandorla, this, this. Now you see what happens here is when the, early, the 
Hebrew community is very familiar with this shape and this mandorla, this almond shape. And so what the Christians did is just continue the mandorla. And that's how you get the fish. And that's, that's why it's an extension of Judaism. Christianity is just an extension of Judaism as it begins to spread open and open itself to the world. Um, so a little bit of, of telling the story uh, biblically, the importance of this symbol of the almond that we've missed, or in Italian, the word for almond is mandorla. That's just an Italian word for almond. Um, but um, understanding that churches need to see themselves in this mandorla light, what does it mean for us to bring the poor and the rich? the conservative and the liberal, the um, um, just these, op- what does it mean to bring the opposites together, the saint and the sinner? Jesus died as he lived in company with bad people. Um, so you're bringing the good and the bad together all the time. Um, so a mandorla mentality and mandorla consciousness. Um, churches will be getting bigger and churches will be getting smaller. Houses are getting bigger, houses are getting smaller. Televisions are getting bigger and televisions are getting smaller. smaller. This is a mandorla world. We bring these up. Op- we cannot be afraid of the opposites. Um, and I want to end with a, uh, a kind of a did you get the, okay. This is a um, kind of a mandorla shape. Uh, it's an ostrich egg. And uh, it hangs in my study. And this is a, um, an important to me. It hangs right in there, right while I'm writing. So as I'm sitting in my couch and I'm looking up, this is what I see. Um, and the reason why this is so important to me, and I'll just pass it around, um, is um, the early church, when they started moving from the table to buildings and from triclinian tables to buildings, every church had to be, and this is in many ways what you are, what I hope that Oxana is doing and will be doing, had to be properly, what the word is, is oriented. Um, not if you, there's a sport actually called orienteering. Um, mm-hmm. But a church oriented, before it could be dedicated, it had to be architecturally oriented. And orient literally means what? East. So the church building, now the big debate was, okay, is the audience facing east or are the priests facing east? So that was a whole other, you know, depending on who's the one, where is the church, what does it mean for the church to face east? But you had to orient the church toward the east. Why toward the east? Because the east was where? Christ, well, not for us. Christ is going to return. So Jesus is going to return in the east. So you're orienting the church toward the future, Oxano, toward the future, and you're oriented towards Christ. The double orienting of every church. And the symbol that it had been properly oriented, and that's how many have been to church nativity in Bethlehem? Anybody? If you go to churches in this in the ancient world where the Christianity began, 
you will find ostrich eggs in those churches, most often. In the Church of the Nativity, it's built into the light fixtures. And the light fixtures, each one of those light fixtures, most of them have an ostrich egg as part of that light fixture. And partly the, the ostrich egg was a symbol of a church that had been oriented and was facing the future and facing towards Christ because the ostrich, um, and it's kind of an interesting, um, the ostrich is not what you think it is. It's not somebody who sticks its head in the sand. What it does, though, is an ostrich is a big bird. It can't fly. But it does have, um, and it's a bird that has a brain, a bird brain, literally. It's like a pea. So it's a, not a smart bird. But it is a bird that had got compensated by giving it powerful eyes. So an ostrich has eyes that are even stronger, some say, than an eagle. They can see for miles incredible detail. And so what the ostrich will do is that's every predator's dream. Everybody in nature wants someday to find an ostrich egg because it's not a snack, it's a feast, you know, it's a banquet. So everybody's on the lookout for ostrich eggs. They're some of the great prizes in nature for other predators. So an ostrich will have to bury its eggs, its progeny, its future, if you will, very carefully. And it buries it in the sand, covers up the sand. But it has to leave where it's buried it because predators will know exactly where to look. So what an ostrich will do is it can literally travel for miles away from where it's buried its progeny. If it never takes one of its eyes off the eggs. It cannot take its eyes off the egg. And that place in the sand where those eggs have been buried. Because if it takes the eye off that place in the sand where its eggs are buried, it's lost its future. It's forfeited its hope. The ostrich will wander for miles around, but it always has to keep one eye on that spot in the sand where its future lies. Because if it misses just for a second, and ostriches are notorious for being distracted <coughs> and forgetting, mm -hmm. and, and then it loses its future, it forfeits its future. So for the early church, this was a huge symbol. We're out into a very dangerous world out there. And it's full of predators, it's full of dangers that we know nothing of. But if we always keep our focus on Christ and we can have a future and our children will be safe. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to myministrybreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.